0: See, it's hard because you just don't really care. Like, you know you should. Like, you've always got in the back of your mind, you're like, oh, yeah, like, I know this is going to have some kind of problems. But in the moment, you're just like, oh, no, it's fine. Like, you know, whatever.
1: Um, just trying to be really open with them because they're going to do it. They're going to be offered it. Um, I'd rather know if they're doing it um, than not know.
2: Let's not kick kids out of school for vaping. Let's not suspend them at the expense of their education for a risk-taking behaviour. Let's look at it and use it as a teaching moment.
3: Just having like a sit down and a conversation with like teenagers about vaping would definitely help them more than just slapping a detention on them and just getting them into trouble.
1: How awful that we actually think that young people once they're in their teen years, are actually incapable of actually taking on information and making informed decisions.
4: It's, I think, about as honest as we can be with kids, that you are messing around with something we know very little about. And whether that has an impact on young people, I have no idea. But lying to them, I think, is just plain wrong.
1: Shockumentary style education does not work. The best education is is where you're actually factual.
3: Education is not always benign.
4: There are no definites when it comes to alcohol the drugs. There are lots of possibles, probables, and maybes, but there are no definites. I'm not going to turn around and say it's terrible, it's killing everybody, which I think is what they would love someone to say. And a lot of what I'm going to say is going to be, we don't really know.
5: Welcome to Chasing Clouds, a Quo podcast series produced in collaboration with the Prince of Wales Hospital Foundation and the Head and Neck Cancer Foundation. I'm Ali, Editor in Chief at The Quo, and your host for this series. Chasing Clouds is an evidence based exploration into the social and public health impact of vaping and e cigarettes in contemporary Australia. We draw upon the expertise of young people, doctors, educators, vapors, academics, and frontline community organisations to bring to light what we need to do moving forward. What can we learn from the times when youth-focused smoking education programmes have had undesired outcomes? What is working in existing Australian education programmes and what isn't working? How can vaping rates be most effectively reduced among Australian young people? These are some of the questions we will be asking in this final episode. We aim to remain neutral because we're not funded by the vaping industry or big tobacco. This is year 12 student Bella's take on why youth-focused education around vaping should never be too forceful.
0: See, it's hard because you just don't really care like you know you should like you've always got in the back of your mind you're like oh yeah like I know this is going to have some kind of problems but in the moment you're just like oh no it's fine like you know whatever Um, but then it's also hard to teach people about it because you can't force someone to not do something you can teach them about it and you can give them alternatives but at the end of the day there's only so much you can do to help Which is also tricky, especially with like teenagers and, you know, peer pressure and, you know, just wanting to like fit in because if one person's doing
5: it, then more and more people According to Associate Professor Becky Freeman, education is not always benign. So what does that mean? When have youth focused smoking education programs or campaigns had undesired outcomes? The Drug Abuse Resistance Education, or DARE Education Program, was aimed at reducing drug taking, gangs and violence during America's war on drugs. At its peak in the 1990s, DARE was implemented in 75% of schools and cost taxpayers an estimated $600 million a year. Workshops were delivered by policemen who would enter classrooms from K to 12 with the aim of teaching kids to reject drug use and violent gang culture. This was at a time when there was mass incarceration for drug-related crimes, and the program was at its core scaremongering. A study by the University of Illinois concluded that the DARE program was counterproductive as students who participated were more likely to use drugs in the future. Philip Morris ran a Think, Don't Smoke, youth-focused advertising campaign in the US, again in the late 1990s. Numerous studies, including one by the American Legacy Foundation, found the ads to be ineffective and concluded that they made adolescents more open to smoking in the future. In 2018, Jewel Labs, the maker of the most popular e-cigarette, began approaching American schools with its own youth prevention program. A study in the Journal of Adolescent Health found that the JUUL curriculum was not evidence-based and failed to fully educate youth about health risks and the way JUUL themselves marketed to young people. The public health community saw this program As a lesson straight out of Tobacco Company's playbook. And Jewel ultimately decided to end the program after an onslaught of bad press. This is Becky Freeman on when education programs fail and how we can set them up to succeed.
3: You know, I don't think anyone would ever argue that education is a bad thing, right? We always want to educate people, make sure people make informed choices, informed consent. But that's been taken and twisted by the tobacco industry. And it is it, it itself funded youth education, youth education prevention programs of, for tobacco use. And they did not work. They sure made people feel really good because now oh, look, we're creating resources and we have fancy packages and we have videos and we have in-services for for teachers. And this is all great. And like, you know, there's probably nothing too terribly wrong with that, but it's a huge expectation to think that a, like a school could just educate people about vaping or tobacco, and then that problem would go away. It's, it's just too much. School education programs as part of, I found like, I know I sound like a bit like a broken writer here. School education programs as part of a comprehensive approach to changing the environment that children live in and young people and adults live in is crucial. And I think there are some education programs that have been shown to be harmful that you know, education is not always benign. The DARE program, for example, in the US in the late 70s, early 80s, that wanted to educate children about illicit drug use, children who went through that program were more likely to go on and use illicit drugs. They're actually educated about the drugs. <laughs> I think we just need to be really cautious. Um, again, tobacco industry-funded youth prevention programs It was about encouraging um, adults parents to talk to their kids about smoking, and they also ran um, ads on in television in some of the states in the US. And children who saw those ads were more likely to um, think better of the tobacco industry and more likely to use tobacco products so education isn't always this benign thing if it you know it might do good at worst it won't do anything, so I just think we really need to be cautious as well. When we think about what's worked to reduce smoking rates among young people around the world, um, it's actually not been because we've focused on youth smoking. It's because we've focused on adult smoking. We've made sure that adult smoking rates have come down and that has been reflected in youth smoking rates come down. I think there's a myth or um, a common misunderstanding that teens smoke to rebel or smoke to prove that they're cool or something. But young people smoke because they want to appear to be like adults they take on what's been role modeled to them and um, children who come from smoking homes for example are far more likely to smoke than children who don't and in Australia we've only ever really focused on ensuring that we have good mass media education programs effective emotive campaigns I'm sure people are familiar with the every cigarette is doing you damage campaigns where you see the sponge with the tar being squeezed or the artery with the goo coming out those are really effective in getting adult smokers to try and quit and that is part of a comprehensive package of, you know, high taxes and bans on smoking in public places. We need to apply those same lessons to vaping, hoping that we can just carve out a small initiative and only target youth vapors. I think while unlikely to do harm, is probably a little misguided on the expectation we would put on a program like that to be able to address what's a systematic community problem. I think it's fantastic that organizations are really, you know, concerned about youth vaping and want to do something about it but let's make sure that's part of our parcel that addresses the regulatory environment and adult vaping as well we can't separate out young people from adults
1: going where the silence is the quo an independent media publisher in control of our own agenda we hold the powerful to account and are accessible to everyone to support us head to thequo.com.au and our socials using the handle at thequoau.
5: The Lung Foundation Australia has created a set of educational resources co-designed by young people with experiences of vaping. CEO Mark Brook on creating Unveil What You Inhale.
2: It was really important that those resources took a very person-centred approach for us, Alexandra. That that we you know, that we we sat down and explained in simple terms, without the emotion and without people shouting at each other about whether it's good or bad. What we understood the evidence to tell us, and that is, it's dangerous for your lungs. Young people will experiment, and parents who overreact and get angry about this stuff can actually. Had negative consequences on health behaviours. So, we took an adolescent um, approach and we really wanted to give information in a bipartisan, apolitical way so that parents could make the decisions um, about how they would talk to their young people when, when this conversation came up and do so from a position of confidence and evidence. And similarly, we wanted young people, whether they're, you know, that. That 13 to 17 year old age group, or the, the high school years, whether they're young adults, um, either at university or entering the workforce or entering a trade for the first time, to also look at that. Because there was a there was a lovely young fellow said to us at a at a workshop, he said, But you know, my boss is a is a senior carpenter and he's using an e-cigarette to stop smoking. And he says it's not bad for me. Now, again, that's where the two really intersect with each other so this this young chippies and his, I think it was his second year apprenticeship was going he says it's not bad for me so I'm not going to take up smoking but I'll just do that now his is a set of clean lungs and so we literally had to unpack that conversation which is why when we co-designed these resources with young people who had experiences of vaping they were saying to us don't preach just give us the facts we're not stupid and we'll make it Teachers were at their wits' end. I think, you know, like all digital disruption, you know, the technologies were taking over the policy frameworks. So again, we wanted to sit down with school leaders and with teachers and educators and go, "This is what a set of resources could look like, and this is how you could apply those learnings in a teaching setting." You know, let's let's not kick kids out of school for vaping. You know, let's not suspend them at the expense of their education for a risk-taking behaviour. Let's look at it and use it as a teaching moment. And the majority of teachers and principals that we worked with thought that that was the best way forward. So the resources are guides for conversations. They're not, you know, fact ABC, it's bad. That's not the way young people will respond in in our very humble opinion.
5: So how has Unveil What You Inhale been received so far? Mark Brook responds.
2: Well, we we know since we released them, I think five weeks ago now, that schools are already distributing them. We know that as issues are arising within schools, educators are using those resources. It's probably a bit too early because the evaluation of the resources is ongoing. But I, I do know from a couple of conversations with educators that they've sat down with young people Um, and use the teaching moment, opportunity to go, okay, we're doing biology and you're pouring this into a rat's lungs. What do you reckon vaping's doing to your lungs? You know, so there's all of those things. Those those informal teaching moments are really, really positive.
5: This is 18-year-old Yanko, reflecting upon his positive experience of e-cigarette education at his school.
3: Well, we had a speaker come in In year 11, his name was Paul Dillon. He goes around to schools talking about um, drinking, vaping, smoking, and just like general risk-taking behaviour. He covered a lot of things in that chat, which was pretty good. And he really highlighted the health risks associated. But I feel like many schools don't get that um, education on the risks with vaping. Paul
5: Dillon is the founder of Drug and Alcohol Research and Training Australia. His focus is on school-based young people and he speaks to 200 schools a year, approximately 120,000 young people, about alcohol and other drug-related issues. Paul on effectively communicating to young people when there is still ambiguity around the long-term health impacts of vaping.
4: The best piece of advice I ever got, in my whole career was from a boss when I first started in alcohol the drugs and he took me into his room and he said, look, I'll give you this piece of advice, never forget it. There are no definites when it comes to alcohol drugs. There are lots of possibles, probables and maybes, but there are no definites. And what happens is in, in this area is people want definites. The reality is with most drug issues, there's lots of shades of grey. Uh, now, the one where there isn't, most probably, would be smoking. Smoking is really quite simple in terms of um, the messaging. The messaging is smoking kills. There's no safe amount of smoking you can do. There's um, the evidence is very clear, you know, uh, around burning something, creating burnt matter, inhaling it. It's very simple. There have been times over the years where people have said, well, you know, we've been so effective in, you know, smoking rates. Why can't we do the same with alcohol? Well, we can't do the same with alcohol because it's not as simple as alcohol kills. Yeah, alcohol can do so many terrible things. I mean, certainly, you know, the Cancer Council at the moment is pushing out all the stuff about alcohol and cancer. But it's not like everybody who drinks alcohol is going to die from cancer. And it's, there's lots of subtle subtleties around the messaging and I think when it comes to vaping, at the moment we do not have any definites. We have a whole pile of um, possibles and maybes. Um, and as I say to the kids, my final thing that I say to young people in every session I do is, I say, I could, um, I could, I could come back in twenty years' time. And I could stand in front of you and I could say, look, we've done 38 years of research in, in vaping. It's not that bad. Go for it. But what, really, sadly, I could come back in three years' time and I could say to any of you who were vaping at 15, 16, go now get a medical checkup because we found a horrible cancer, a horrible lung disease associated with, uh, with its use. We just don't know. And now it's not a particularly strong message, and that's what people like. People like really simple black and white messages. But it's, I think, about as honest as we can be with kids, that you are messing around with something we know very little about. And um, now, whether that has an impact on young people, I have no idea. But lying to them, I think, is just plain wrong.
5: Paul Dillon, on how he started devising prevention messages around vaping, that were likely to work.
4: I don't think I've ever had a time in the past almost 30 years of doing what I do where school, almost every school that I speak at, they will say to me, you will cover vaping, won't you? And for the first time, I'm covering vaping with each of the three-year groups I speak to. That's I've never, ever done a topic across the three. But, you know, the fact of the matter is if they're not doing it, they're certainly exposed to it. And, um, you know, it's very... It's a tough, it's a tough thing to talk about with kids because um in many ways, thank goodness last year's lockdown happened because it gave me five weeks to kind of where well, I did nothing else but literally read and read and read and find out as much as I possibly could to try to develop some simple prevention messages around baby because they just don't exist. Um there's a whole pile of stuff from the States which is kind of all shock and scare stuff. But trying to come up with prevention messages that are likely to work um, was a real challenge.
5: Paul came up with five strategies he now uses with school-based young people.
4: There are kind of five, five things to consider that I've kind of listed out. And the first one is, you know, why were these, why were these vapes created? why you know why were they invented they were invented as an alternate nicotine delivery system they were designed for people who were long-term smokers to help quit they weren't designed to introduce you to nicotine so that was that's kind of one um the second one was you know um where where how are these vapes made where are they made and you know 95 percent of the world's vapes are manufactured in china and are not particularly good um um uh, standards or regulations and um i've taken a vape and i don't know if you've seen i don't know if i sent you but i opened a vape up and that is so powerful can i tell you when you watch a room full of kids look at that and you know it's held together by sticky tape i mean the yellow stuff on it's sticky tape and the battery is very very poor quality and um i think that's an important one um i what I use that with because I've received two photographs from young people whose disposable vape exploded. The battery blew up and the plastic shattered. And uh, one boy I sliced into his cheek. He lost a piece of his cheek and a piece of his tongue. And the other young man slashed across his hand and he um, has a nasty cup but the the oil came out then, which was 350 degrees Celsius, so it burned into his hand. And you only have to go online to see some of the burns that people have now it's rare it doesn't happen very often and you need to need to be very honest with kids and make sure that you make it clear that you know not everyone's blowing up all over the place but these are not made well and i think one of the things we have to remember about what we do know about the young people in australia who are, who are vaping most of them tend to vape the disposable vapes the cheap ones and so i think that's that's something that i say i also I also raised the issue that there was a bunch of deaths that occurred, the valley deaths, and um, but I very, very, very um, strongly made clear that this was an unusual. This was unusual. Um, it's not like tens of thousands of people have died. But the reason they died was someone had contaminated the pod. So in the in your vape, that little pod, um, it could contain something that it shouldn't be there. And so there's a potential. I mean, most young people don't even realize there's liquid in a in a vape. They have no idea. And so I think putting that out there is a it gets them to ask a question. Um, then I talk about the other two are around flavours. Why do you think flavors are added? Um, and you know, remember who these were designed for. People who were oh, this great worksheet that I created where I showed what originally cigarette looked like, what they look like now. And you know, The original ones looked like a cigarette. They were designed for people who wanted to quit smoking and now they're brightly coloured with cotton candy written on the side. Do you think that they may have changed who they're marketing for? And so that's one of the things that we know works with smoking is the deceptive ways that tobacco companies um, um, have managed to get customers. So that's a very uh, young people respond to that quite well. So that's the fourth and the fifth one, which I think is a really interesting one, which will, I think, grow over time. Which is the environmental impact of vapes. Um, it's an interesting one. Um, if uh, it's it's one that I don't think anyone can, even the pro vaping lobby, can really dispute. Um, it's the evidence is quite clear that, it, that they're going to be more far more harmful than smoking butts, uh, cigarette butts.
5: Paul Dillon on why a school community-wide approach is critical for effective drug education.
4: What we know works best with young people is if we have a, a whole, like a whole community school approach. So it's not not just you know um, uh, the school giving information. It's the the, the, um, the um, parents. Uh, providing the same information as well. So when I go into a school, I, I won't go in and just give a talk to kids. Um, if they want me to do that, I don't do it. It's like a tick the box and it doesn't work. So the first time I go into a school, I speak to kids, I speak to the staff and then I speak to the parents. So everyone is getting not exactly the same message, but the same message, you know, put into the, uh, into the correct context, I suppose.
5: Belinda Volkov is an alcohol and other drugs counsellor with over 20 years of experience. She works on the ground with young people aged 12 to 25 at the Sydney Drug Education and Counselling Centre. Belinda on why fearmongering doesn't work and why empowering young people does. How do
1: we get appropriate education when you have such division? The other thing I know that doesn't work and I know and this is definitely my, you know, my opinion, and it's definitely our stance at Estec, is that shockumentary style education does not work. And when I say shockumentary, I mean, um, you know, like the oh, some of the ads that, that are seen overseas at the moment around vaping are, are just, I, I, they even they even got I think Marvel comic have done one, and and I've I've had a look at it, and I've shown a few of my. My colleagues and we've shown a couple of young people and it it's it's just ridiculous it makes no sense and and it's feeding right into all the stuff that we stopped doing years ago like i'm stunned that we're kind of going down a similar path in the way we do education not everyone some people are doing fantastic education the best education is is where you're actually factual now being factual means that you're not being scaremongering and warning so how do you talk about drugs and put them off at the same time? Um, and that's kind of the that's kind of the problem. I mean, we how awful that we actually think that young people, once they're in their teen years, are actually incapable of actually taking on information and making informed decision. When we look at the education components, they are just drug into body equals this, right? Which Feeds back into the kind of disease-focused way of looking at addiction, and so that's one of the big problems with that. Is because when you go into that, it kind of scientifically reduces it to a simplified thing. Um, if, if if we know it's that, we can treat it. If we know it's it's a it's asthma, there's you do this, this, and this for it. Um, addiction is is biopsychosocial. It is much more complex, and so when we revert it down to these education style things that just say this, this, and this does this, you lose the credibility for young people who have all of the questions. And generally the questions that we get are very much behind closed doors in our office. They do not um, ask a lot of those things openly until we actually have a a bit of a rapport with them. And then then you've got a good opportunity to pass on credible information and just work with their ambivalence about what they know um, to equip them and empower them to make informed
5: decisions. As Belinda explains, when it comes to addiction, there are biological, psychological and sociocultural factors that need to be considered when creating educational interventions for school based youth programs must go beyond telling young people the facts and empower them to make their own informed decisions. So let's zoom out. What have we learned about the social and public health impact of e-cigarettes from the Chasing Cloud series? Nicotine vapes were originally created by smokers as a way to facilitate quitting traditional cigarettes. However, They are increasingly used by young people who have never smoked before. We need to see e-cigarettes in two ways. Firstly, potentially as a harm reduction tool for smokers. While there is anecdotal evidence from smokers who see vaping as a lifesaver and a worldwide community of avid vapers, Australia's peak public health bodies are not convinced that there is enough research on their efficacy as a smoking cessation tool. Secondly, recreational vaping is increasingly common among the younger demographic, and most of these young people are knowingly or unknowingly using nicotine vapes. It is irrefutable that e-cigarettes have negative health impacts. When you vape, you inhale substances including formaldehyde, propylene glycol, and often nicotine, which is very addictive. So they aren't safe, but are vapes safer than traditional cigarettes? E-cigarettes don't produce carcinogenic tar or carbon monoxide. However, a 2020 study from Curtin University found that 62% of new e-liquids contained chemicals likely to be toxic if vaped repeatedly. Ultimately, there has not been enough longitudinal research to determine the magnitude of e-cigarettes' long-term health effects. In Australia, it's illegal to use, sell, or buy nicotine for use in e-cigarettes without a prescription. As of the 1st of October, which is only a few days ago, anyone wanting to import nicotine e-cigarettes into Australia needs a doctor's prescription. It is now illegal to buy nicotine vaping products or nicotine e-cigarettes, both locally and from overseas websites without one. This has effectively made it much harder for vapers, both ex-smokers and recreational vapers, to import their nicotine liquids for use in e-cigarettes from overseas. We will have to wait and see how this affects accessibility in practice and whether nicotine e-cigarettes still remain widely available under the counter at vape shops and convenience stores across the country. So let's now look at vaping and young people. In Australia, E-cigarettes are aggressively marketed to youth through social media. The tactics used by these e-cigarette companies are very similar to those historically used by big tobacco companies. Advertising vapes may be banned in Australia, but it is incredibly difficult to regulate online. Vapes are designed to be visually, chemically, or lingually, socially and psychologically addictive. How can we use this knowledge to improve educational interventions for young people? As Paul Dillon points out, what worked with traditional cigarettes is likely to work with e-cigarettes. Young people don't like being manipulated and their powers of critical analysis shouldn't be underestimated. Instead of using scare tactics, and telling youth what they can and cannot do. Our vision is to create an interactive online learning module for school-based young people that empowers them to take the lead. Our online interactive learning module will be widely accessible to school-based young people across the country. Our vision is for every school-based young person to be equally armed with an evidence-based approach to navigating the risks associated with e-cigarettes. We will be honest about the uncertainties, especially around the long-term health impact of e-cigarettes. Our online interactive learning module will show young people how they are being manipulated through targeted marketing and invite them to think critically This will empower them to take the lead through peer-based education, where young people themselves share their stories of experiences with vaping with their peers and what they have learned as a result. There will be specific modules for educators and parents to facilitate a school community-wide approach. At the heart of our vision is to create a non-judgmental online space where young people are part of the solution, rather than being presented as part of the problem.